0: For a really great future, we're talking real
1: money. Trust me, the older you get, the faster it goes. It, time. Maybe money too, but time goes fast. It's already Friday again. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Talking Real Money Friday edition, which is usually questions and answers and it will be again today because while I thought last week I'd pretty much gotten caught up, um, well, I'm not anymore. Because you sent in a lot of questions. You called in a lot of questions to eight five five nine three five talk but you recorded more questions at TalkingRealMoney.com slash contact with your computer. See, the world, it's a changing all the time. So we have... I got at least five I need to get to today. So we're going to get this ball rolling right off the bat with Karen.
2: Hi, Tom and Don. Uh, thank you so much for the show. My question is, um, where do I keep emerging markets for tax efficiency and developed international? So like VEI, uh, the Vanguard Developed Market Um, I have an option of keeping it in traditional or Roth or um, IRAs or um, a taxable account, and I, I my question is because of the you know I know there's the foreign tax credit. So if it were possible that I you know can keep that in a taxable account, is that better or is it better to keep it you know in the Roth because like it has a potential the emerging markets in particular to grow um you know maybe more so i also keep like small cap in the roth but what i do is follow you know paul merriman merriman's 10 fund strategy so if you guys like could break down like okay where should i keep what you know like large cap small cap international small cap international large cap emerging markets reits where do you keep reits so maybe you know listeners would love to know that like if you know and i know sometimes you don't have the option to change it but i do So, um, because it's all an IRA or a taxable account. So if you can maybe like just give us some guidance, that would be wonderful. Um, yeah. Okay. I've now designed your next podcast for you. That can be the title, right? Awesome. Okay. Thank you guys. Bye.
1: This is a fascinating question. And I honestly believe it's the first time it's ever been asked in the history of the Don McDonald show, uh, the ways and means committee investor radio sound investing, Or Talking Real Money, all the podcasts and shows I've done over the years. Um, Here's the deal. International is different. Because international investments are often taxed at the, the, the fund level. What do I mean? Well, that international governments will tax the mutual fund for gains and income. But as an American... You shouldn't have to pay those because you pay U.S. taxes. So you get a foreign tax credit that is distributed, shown to you on your, which is reported to you by your custodian each tax year. However, if the money's in a, a Roth IRA or a regular IRA, you don't get to take advantage of that. So um, all of the advice I've seen, and it makes sense. In fact, I just read an article like six months ago by Christine Benz at Morningstar, and even she says, in this case, you should keep your internationals and your emerging markets in a taxable account. And you should probably have those in the form of ETFs. You really should, because then you won't get a lot of distributed capital gains and the like, but... uh, yeah, they should be actually in a taxable account. Now, we have, though, in answer to the rest of your question, we have done some shows on where to keep assets, what types of accounts to keep them in. And uh, we, we'll we do that again. But rather than go through all of them and tell you the best places to keep stuff, I mean, REITs, those should go in your Roth because they distribute a lot of of uh, of income. Uh, and capital gains and things. They're, they're tax inefficient, but, uh, we'll do a show on it. You're right. It's worthy of a show. So, um, uh, thanks. And we have a, another call that came in from the website, talking realmoney.com on the contact
2: form. And, uh, Ed, you're up next. Hey guys, I love your show. And but I do hate it when these callers give their long winded questions and, and give these speeches and give, give too much background in their lives I think they should save that for their personal consultations with you rather than boring the rest of us with that. But um, I'll try to keep my question short. Uh, And my question is this. Doug Andrews, Laser Fund, he's all over the radio. Every weekend here in the Bay Area,
3: he sounds like a preacher.
1: Discuss. Well, there are times when we really need that information to be able to answer a question. And sometimes people just aren't comfortable Going to our advisors They still think they're going to get sold something Even though they're not going to get sold something If you go to vestry.com and you set up an appointment With one of our advisors and you say I just need some help I'm not looking to hire an advisor That's exactly what you're going to get But we, we, we try to keep it to a dull roar But there are times when we need to know more So it's a balancing act but your question, very short, very short, very very short, very good, actually. <laughs> Doug Andrews. Doug Doug Dougie, Doug Boy Doug Doug Doug. I think I think that I think that I can um, pretty confidently state that mister Andrews is a bit of a con artist.
2: Uh, He,
1: that that whole laser fund idea, that's just another name for the same old garbage that's being pumped as bank on yourself or uh, missed fortune investing. Uh, What what these guys pitch, and it's always a variation on this theme. It's either universal whole life, universal life, uh, or it's indexed whole life which is a variation on the indexed annuity, but they're, and and this is a terrible investment. I'm not the only one to say this, this, this is everybody. You want to just call, call almost any talk show host, call Ramsey, call Clark Howard, call Rick Edelman. They're all going to tell you the same exact thing. This stuff is garbage. It is garbage. You would never want to sell out your IRAs, which is what he's telling you to do and put them in indexed universal or indexed whole life. It just makes him some really huge, non-disclosable, non-transparent, in other words, opaque commissions. And uh, he he gets rich and you get poorer. He's been sued before. This guy gets in more trouble. But he buys radio time. And let me tell you, there's no one, no one in the universe who vets this garbage on the radio. And it is, in my opinion, almost all garbage. Almost every money show on the radio is garbage. I mean, Rick Edelman used to give decent advice. He doesn't anymore. Uh, Dave Ramsey gives horrible investing advice, but at least his is a legitimate show. It's, uh, no. No, no. Doug Andrews is just taking advantage of people's naivete. Uh, he's, he, he, he sounds and feels like a snake oil salesman. I've watched his videos. I've listened to his podcasts and things. No, this is all garbage. It is it, it, Basically, the, the, the deal is you can buy a whole life insurance policy and you can take money out tax-free whenever you want it. Well, no, but you're borrowing it from yourself. You're borrowing the money. And uh, should the policy ever lapse, well, it all becomes taxable. And by the by the by, they don't earn the kind of money that they claim they can earn. You, you, you have to remember the insurance companies, these guys can say almost anything because they hide behind the disclosure documents. What are the odds that an insurance company is going to actually pay you 8 to 9%? When they can't go out and earn eight or nine percent safely, they've got to take huge risk to do it. What they're doing is they're conflating the earnings of the, the insurance policy, which are negligible in the, you know, one or two percent range, maybe three, and they're conflating that with annuitization. When you take the money and you turn it into a life stream of income. So you you take your million dollars, you turn it into a life stream of income at $70,000 a year. And suddenly they can say, yeah, you're getting 7% per year when you annuitize. Well, no, you're really not because you've got a million of your money that basically is being after the dividends. Then they're tapping your money to pay you. And they know the money is going to last a lot longer than you do. So bad. Bad, bad Doug Andrews. Bad boy. Um, before we get to the phones, yeah, I think we only have one phone call. I think the rest are all, which I like because they sound good. They're all sent into talkingrealmoney.com on the contact form. Let's go to our next question. Hey, guys. Love the show. I was thinking of making some changes to my portfolio and getting out of the target date funds. And doing more specific investing. But then the market took a dump. My target date fund took a dump. And they say you should not sell when they've lost money because you'd lock in the loss. But since everything's gone down right now, is now a good time to change allegations. Uh, What do you say? Mm, The emotions and the misinformation surrounding... Buying and selling investments. (sighs) If you're going to move money between a target date fund and a portfolio that you manage yourself, you determine your asset allocations, and you are still going to have an asset allocation that is appropriate for your needs and your risk tolerance, then it is a lateral move. If you're going from a target date fund that's 40% bonds, 60% stocks, and you want to go into your own managed portfolio that's 40% bonds and 60% stock, but you want a little bit different allocation, you're you're moving laterally. It doesn't matter. You're not locking in a loss because you're selling at a price and you're buying in a very 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 similar price the only time it becomes a timing game or you lock in a loss is when you try to time the market and that doesn't work so no you're not locking in a loss or locking in a gain or whatever it might be you're making a move from one thing into another. And since similar investments move similarly, if you're going from similar to similar, you're going to get similar results. Thanks for your question. I may be able to get to another one because these are going really, really fast. All right. This is uh, this is a phone call to 855 935 8255, which spells talk, by the way.
3: Hello. Uh, my name is Phyllis, and I have about three hundred thousand dollars sitting in a savings account. I put it there because I'm going to be needing it um in about three years and I don't know where else to put it. It's stopped me I mean I'm losing money because of inflation, so I should be putting it someplace. But I uh, I feel the stock market is for long term <coughs> and this is Three years is short term, so I don't know where to put it. So it will at least make something for me. Could you please? My phone number is 206-365-7754. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Therein lies the rub. It's the three years, and it's the word need. It's not want, it's need. I'd like to be able to get it in three years, but I can accept a little volatility. Ah, that leads us to an entirely different conclusion. But in your case, it's I have $300,000 and I need it in three years. Now, it's not clear whether you need it in exactly three years or you might need it any time over the three years or you need a certain amount at the end of three years. So here's the dilemma: if you might need it any time over the next three years, well, you're going to be stuck with high yielding savings accounts, which are the best. I just opened one at Marcus, so I got the hundred dollar bonus, which is gone now. I think it may still be there. I don't know. Uh, and I got half a percent a year on a small investment, just you know, emergency money. But with the extra hundred dollars I get because I only put ten thousand in, I get one point five percent for your 300 you're going to not be looking you're going to lose money no matter what you do that is the price of safety and that's always been the price of safety when we got 5 and 6 and 7% safe money returns it was in an environment when inflation was 6 or 7 or 8 or 9% it's always been the case the best i have found on a 2 to 3 year cd is about one and a quarter percent. I found a one and a quarter, two year at uh, the Pentagon Federal Credit Union through Bankrate. That's credit union, that's NCUA insured or Live Oak Bank, which is FDIC insured is doing 1.2 on a uh, three-year CD. So you could get a couple of CDs. You can maybe even ladder them, get a one year. I think you can get a one year right around one, uh, two year at like one and a quarter and then a three year about the same and make more than you're making in savings. But remember, you could lose some of that interest if you need to take it out early. So you could go to bond funds. You could go to a short to intermediate term bond fund and probably get just a modicum more than that. Not much. Maybe one and a half, maybe two, depending on the credit quality. But there again, you're looking at a scenario in which your $300,000 could, in three years, be worth two hundred and eighty five thousand in a in a rapidly rising rate environment so there's just no way to know if you want to for sure you've got to go fdic insured or treasuries and the best you're going to do there is about 1.2 thank you very much for the call let's grab another one that came in over at talking real com.
2: hi tom and don my name is paxton from colorado springs colorado a recent listener to your show, and I really appreciate the advice you give. My question is you've explained on some of the shows I've listened to to use REITs like VNQ to get exposure to real estate in my portfolio. My concern is that it appears that REITs like VNQ have a high level of correlation to uh, stock mutual funds. And so I wonder if they trade more like, or if their price fluctuates more like stocks as opposed to like the underlying real estate market that they're connected to Uh, and that therefore they would be inferior to say privately traded REITs or actual uh, personally owned uh, real estate. Can you comment on that for me? I appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Colorado Springs,
1: not the place where I was born, but I call it my hometown because I grew up there. From junior high through high school through much of my adult life, much of it up until the 90s, uh, went to Mitchell High School and uh, love the town. It's gorgeous, but couldn't do some of the things I needed to do there at the time. Plus now, I don't know, cold, it gets cold. Uh, uh, Let's talk about Reeds day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month even. Lots of things can move in lockstep and appear to be non-correlated assets. But the reality is when we talk about non-correlation, we're not talking about negatively correlated assets. What do I mean by that? Well, when stocks go up, you know, real estate goes down by a, a proportional amount. When stocks go down, real estate goes up by a proportional amount. That's not what we're talking about. Non-correlation just means they don't move in lockstep and th- by the same amount. And I'll give you a great example. Looking at real estate, REITs, real estate investment trusts, from the 90s into the 20s, the 2020s, you'll see that if you go back to the 90s, 98, 99, 2000, real estate just didn't move a lot. But stocks were hot. So what that did is that reduced your Volatility. Then in 2007, 2006, 2007, real estate was just screaming. Stocks were still rising, but they weren't rising as much. Again, it lowered your overall return, but it also lowered your overall volatility. So you got a little bit of the gains from real estate and not as big a gains from, from stocks. We saw the same thing happen in 2011, 2012, when real estate outperformed stocks, but they were both rising. Uh, and, uh, in fact, real estate has kind of outperformed for a while. It's only in the past few years that real estate dipped back below stocks again, like it did in the, in the late nineties. So they don't correlate exactly. They don't move exactly in lockstep. And because of that, we believe they will add reduced volatility to your portfolio. And even though REITs, a uh, REIT ETF will trade like a stock it doesn't act like a stock it acts like the underlying real estate because its value is determined by the reits in the portfolio there's there may be a little teeny tiny difference between the value and what the price is on the exchange but most of the time in widely traded etfs you're looking at the true value of the underlying assets the market is very efficient so reits are fine public reits are better they're better than private reits because you get broader diversification and you spread, you spread that risk out, and you also get pretty decent returns. You don't get the giant home runs, but you start going for that, you start getting scared. Thank you so much for your question. Again, you can send questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com. You can type them, but we prefer it when you speak them. You can also call them in 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, to 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. And because this went so quickly, I'm going to go grab one more question. And let's see, this one, I think it's going to be, oh, it is. It's going to be a phone call.
3: Hey, I wondered if you're aware of a beginner's introductory level tutorial on the use of Morningstar. They rate stock funds and mutual funds and whatnot. I tried to go on there one day and use them to find things, and I just was not having any success because I didn't know how their interfaces worked. And I didn't find a tutorial on there that was useful at an introductory level. So if you're aware of something, um, tell us how we might learn about how to use Morningstar. Thanks, and I'd also be interested in your opinion of Morningstar. Do you think it's a good source of information? I know you guys are a great source of information. And I hope that Morningstar is at least half as good as you guys. So let us know what you know about how to, how to use it. Thanks.
1: That is a very good question. Um, I have used Morningstar for so long. It's like second nature. It, and it never occurred. It, it is. Uh, it's, it's confusing. It is difficult to use. And it is not designed with consumers in mind. It's generally designed for the industry because subscriptions can be very expensive. Uh, The information is incredibly detailed um, and a lot of it is great. But the problem is it's really only great as a source of data. I don't pay any attention, nor would I suggest paying any attention to their ratings or their recommendations because they tend to look back at performance and go, hey, this one did well in the past, so you should buy it now. Um, I did find a couple of videos online, but most of them were a little sophisticated. The, and the, the only one, uh, and I, I did not watch the whole thing, but I did watch some of it, and it looked pretty darn good, and it seemed designed for individual investors, was a video on YouTube that was done by a gentleman named Rob Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R. And it's called the Morningstar User Guide Overview. And it's the first of a series of videos. So uh, you might want to take a peek. I I think that would probably be worthwhile. Basically, when you go to Morningstar, you want to look at a couple of things. The data you want to get... Uh, is uh, are things like the expense ratio, the diversity of the portfolio, the quality of the bonds if it's a bond portfolio, the trailing yields, the SEC yield, things like that, the fees and expenses, and they're all in different places. Now Tom and I, because we've used it for so long, we just go boop 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 boop, and we know exactly exactly where to go for the things we want. Uh, it it's like anything else; you can learn it. It's not hard. It could take some time and some practice. But I think that uh, it's a great tool. I, it's a great information tool. I don't think there are a lot of great resources that will tell you what to do in the future. We want them to tell us that, but that's not advice we're going to get because the implication is somebody knows something they can't know. In other words, the future. And... Oh, we haven't gone that long. I'm going to sneak one more in. This one comes in from TalkingRealMoney.com. Hey, Don and Tom. This is Brent in Texas. Uh, thank, thank you for everything you do. I enjoy your podcasts. And given that you're always talking about low-cost index investing, I was curious as to why I never hear any mention of the Fidelity Zero mutual funds. I mean, they have a large cap, an extended market, a total market, and an international. And I've been contemplating uh, an investment in like a Roth IRA that's got like 85% total market and 15% international in the Fidelity Zero funds. What do you think of these? And why don't you talk about them sometime? Thanks. Actually, we've talked about them. I don't think we've talked about them lately. But we talked about them right after they came out. And uh, the first thing that came to mind... First thing that came to mind was gimmick Um, because when you're dealing with large total market kinds of funds or index funds, the prices between iShares and Vanguard and Schwab and Fidelity are so low, so low that zero is almost a rounding error. And initially, one of the problems we found with the zero funds, well, I'll give you an interesting example. The Fidelity Zero Total Market Index, which is FZROX, it has an expense ratio of zero. The Vanguard Total Stock Market ETF, VTI, has an expense ratio of 003 that is $3 on 100000 Rounding error. But here's the big difference. The Fidelity Fund does not own the entire U.S. stock market like the Vanguard ETF does, or the, even the Vanguard Fund, which is a little bit more expensive, I think. Uh, it does not hold. It emulates the U.S. market. And I'm not a big fan of emulation. The reason they emulate it is because they don't have to buy and sell as many securities. Therefore, their costs aren't as high. The VTI, which is the total U.S. ETF at Vanguard, has 4,100 stocks in it. 4,100. The Fidelity Zero total market index has 2,600 stocks in it dramatically fewer and so therefore it doesn't accurately emulate or it doesn't in my opinion it's it doesn't accurately represent the entire market that it is meant to represent and for three dollars per thousand three dollars i'm sorry for three dollars per hundred thousand i'd rather have the the bigger portfolio i really would and it's a marketing gimmick. Fidelity, Fidelity is a is a good marketer. I mean, they're a for profit company. They're 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 probably oh no, not probably. They're definitely better at marketing than Vanguard. Um, and they're better at marketing than iShares, and they're better at marketing than Schwab. They're better at marketing, and this is a marketing tool. It just doesn't seem worth the bother. So we've mentioned it, and we'll mention it again. And we appreciate you asking about it because it's worth mentioning. Thank you all for being a part of this little get together. We call a podcast. Uh, I'm Don McDonald tomorrow, Saturday. If you're listening to this on Friday, tomorrow, every Saturday, Tom and I get together from across the country and manage to do a radio show together in the Seattle area on uh, Northwest news radio, which used to have different call letters. And, you can call free and live, and it's easy. You just call the same number, 855-935-TALK, T-A-L-K, or 8255. And we can have a conversation between the hours of 3 and 5 p.m. every Saturday, Eastern Time, or noon to 2 Pacific Time. And the other thing you can do, you So many of you tell us how much you love the podcast. I mean, we got another like five wonderful reviews just in the past couple of days. If you do really like it, I know you're on social media. If there's a particular podcast that you find fascinating, go to your favorite podcast service and find the share button. There's one hidden somewhere, usually under three dots or something. Find that and share that episode on social media so we can help everybody get better at this and help everybody avoid a lot of the bad stuff we've talked about on this podcast and of course we love the reviews leave a review at apple Podcasts or rate us on spotify i'm done i'm out of here i gotta go edit this now thanks for listening i'm don mcdonald talking real money